Hey, good morning, church. How you doing? Thanks for joining in. I, I'm watching you join in online and making comments, saying hi to each other. There you are right there. So that's cool. Thanks for joining in. Um, some in your pajamas, some of you got up and got dressed, some of you are eating breakfast. Uh, however you chose to do that, that's awesome. Thank you for joining us. I want to encourage you to share and invite others to join us uh, as we worship this morning. And uh, don't you love Sam Ross? Sam does a great job. And uh, somebody's been working out during the pandemic. I, I think it's obvious that uh, he's looking good. So appreciate all of our team and appreciate Sam. And got a, got a crew here this morning helping us to do this and so grateful uh, for everybody. And just want to kind of uh, catch you up a little bit about what's going on in the church. Obviously, Sam shared some of that with you as we target June 28th. But just, I just want you to know, we haven't closed our doors this entire time. The church has been open, been ministering. Uh, through promises and other ministries. Our staff's been working overtime. Uh, you know, we start about eight o'clock in the morning and we're having meetings at eight o'clock at night. So it's all day long, uh, every day of the week. And our staff has stepped up, uh, rearranged, stepped into areas that are not their areas to help serve and volunteer. And so it's just been a, a wonderful sight to see as our church has been alive and well during this time. And the only difference is you guys aren't here with us on Sunday morning, but we're still doing everything plus more that we were doing before, which is really cool to see because we're seeing our vision lived out. You, if you don't know our vision at First Burleson, uh, you should, and it's to be a multi-generational, multi-venue, multi-site, regional equipping church. And we're definitely staying multi-generational. It's cool to hear some of our folks that may have not really bought into the whole computer thing, waiting to see if computers are gonna go away, um, are jumping online, they're getting computers, iPads, they're getting technology to be able to join with us in our worship services. So we're staying multi-generational, uh, multi-venue. We're still doing our traditional service at 9.30, modern service here at 11, uh, Spanish service at 12.30. Multi-site, we're very multi-site right now uh, as you are streaming in your homes and life groups getting together. And then regional equipping church, because God has blessed us with resources, we continue to be able to help some of the churches in our area, uh, even outside our area that may be struggling, maybe didn't have an online presence. And so we've had our team over there helping them and just various things we've been able to help support, even leading some worship in some churches uh, that needed some help there. So our vision hasn't stopped because of this pandemic, which is awesome and cool to see how it's even changed and shifted in the way that it looks. Our strategy hasn't changed. If you know our strategy, it's very simple. It's what we call our life piece, L-I-F-E, love God, invested people, fellowship with believers, engage the culture. All that's going on on a regular basis. We've ramped that up even more uh, as we worship together, as we study God's word and pray together, uh, as we invest uh, relationally, as you guys are caring for one another, reaching out to neighbors, inviting folks to join us. Also, we care for one another by giving financially. Uh, so again, our resources are very strong during this time. Fellowship of Believers, I love hearing about life groups. I love hearing about new life groups that are gonna be forming uh, as you get together and care for one another and then engaging our culture. I mean, that's a no brainer. That's been a major emphasis uh, of our church during this time as we engage the culture and reach those and help those through our counseling center, uh, through our food pantry of promises and just prayer ministry, all kinds of things that are going on. So definitely God has given us an opportunity uh, to gain strength as we depend upon him. And that's really a question, I guess, for all of us. Do you expect to come out of this pandemic stronger or weaker? Well, I hope the expectation is stronger. I know some of us have been devastated. Some of us have lost jobs, lost income. Uh, retirement plans may be diminished. 
not been able to be around family, relationships that we hold dear. It's been tough. But through all this, the expectation is we're going to come out stronger. I know that's the expectation for First Burleson, that we're going to be a stronger church, better at doing what God's called us to do because he's allowed us to go through this experience. We've learned a lot, and we're anxious to share that in the future. And as we come out of this, we're going to be a different church. I pray we don't go back to the way that we were doing things. Not that there was anything wrong with it, but it's just it's different now, and it needs to be different. And so a lot of things are changing in how we minister. And now we have a, a global presence. We, we understand that. People connecting to us from all over the world. And so this has been a huge opportunity to reach out. And so we're going to continue to do that. Now, honestly, we've done some great things. There's some things we failed at trying. In fact, there's probably some things you failed at doing over these past seven years or however long we've been in this pandemic. But the reality is that we are going to fail. But so that's not really the question. The question is, how do we see failure? How do we view, how do we look at it when we fail? How do we process failing in our lives? The reality is some of us have failed at marriage. There are people in our church that uh, their marriage has ended in divorce or maybe it's not a divorce, but it's struggling right now. Some of us have failed at, at raising our kids in the ways of the Lord. Some of us have failed at, at having a relationship with our children. Some of us have maybe failed financially. This pandemic has caused great stress and anxiety because we haven't been good stewards of saving money and preparing for that rainy day. Some of us have failed at being loving or forgiving or, or even kind. Some of us have failed at giving God our best. And this experience we've had has just kind of highlighted all those things and caused us to focus on some areas in our life that we would consider to be weak areas. But the good news that I have for you is that even in failure, we can experience a breakthrough. We can experience and understand what it means to depend upon the Lord for all areas of our life, not just a few, not just the easy ones. Can I just say something in all love? Hey, you're a failure. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> we all fail. Right? So failing is not the issue, but how do we process it? How do we view it? When you fail, does it just totally rock your world? I mean, you're working on a project and you experience failure, so you just chunk the whole project and forget about it. Or do you see it as an opportunity to maybe tweak what you were doing to make it better? Do you feel like failure is a sign that you're headed in the wrong direction? Well, sometimes it is, but sometimes it's just something we just need to reassess. Just some minor course corrections can fix a lot of things. When you fail, does it devastate you or do you see it as an opportunity to learn? and do it better the next time. I mean, there's, we all process failure differently, but the truth is we all fail. And certainly that was the case for the apostle Peter when he first met Jesus. It's interesting, you know his life, he failed many times following Jesus, but his first encounter with Jesus was right after an epic fail. So we're gonna look at that story this morning in Luke chapter five, because what Peter discovers, what I want you to discover today, failure can actually lead to a breakthrough. So if you have your Bible open to Luke chapter five, I'm gonna start with verse one. Luke writes this. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. 
Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. So I'm going to go back to that question. How have you failed lately? You don't necessarily have to put those in the comments. I encourage you not to, but just think about it. Think about the last time you failed that had an impact on your life. And with that kind of mindset, let's look at the context here. I mean, Luke gives us a great description of the story. Here's Jesus. He's teaching as often. This was a popular time in his ministry. Wherever he stopped, people would gather. Crowds would gather pretty easily. And so he's on the edge of the lake. It's actually the Sea of Galilee. And he's teaching. So he sees a couple of boats there and realizes he can pull out a little bit so people can see him better and helps with the acoustics a little bit better if he's talking over the water. So he pulls out a little bit into the water with Peter and the other fishermen who'd been fishing all night long and hadn't caught anything. In fact, the fact that they're washing their nets shows that they're hanging it up for the day. They're calling it a day, ready to go home. They're exhausted or tired, frustrated, uh, all the emotions that go along with failure. They're experiencing it. And then this Jesus shows up and he wants to step out into the boat. Rather than denying him, Peter says, all right, sure. And so Jesus takes that boat, fishing boat, and he turns it into a pulpit. He begins to share the word of God, the son of God, sharing the word of God in Peter's boat. This is first encounter that Peter had with Jesus. He probably heard about him, but he didn't really know him personally. And so he's on the Sea of Galilee, which means a garden of treasures. That's what their name means. And so truly, this is a garden of treasure as the son of God teaches in Peter's boat. Peter's in there with him, some of the other fishermen, James and John, his partners. And so Jesus is in Peter's boat. You know, we use that terminology a lot. I've heard a lot of people saying, we're, you know, we're in the same boat during this pandemic. I don't know that we're in the same boat. I know we're in the same storm, but we're not necessarily in the same boat. Some of us are handling it very well. Some of us are devastated by it. Some of us are crushed. Some of us are afraid. Some of us are anxious. Some of us see this opportunity. So we, we all face this thing differently but it's the same storm. But the key here for Peter is that Jesus was in his boat. So I don't know, that may sound a little cheesy, but Jesus is in our life, right? If Jesus is in our life, he's in our boat, then he gives us guidance. He promotes security, he promotes confidence in our life because we are learning and leaning on him. Peter learned a lot that day as Jesus spoke. And the true nature about Jesus, you know it in your life and Peter experienced the boat. When Jesus steps in, everything changes. When Jesus steps in your life, your marriage change, your outlook changes, your family dynamics change, your attitude changes, your language changes. You become more positive in your statements and in your outlook. Surely Peter was seeing this and experiencing this. So Jesus teaches and then after he teaches, he teaches with more than just words here, he teaches by actions when he asks Peter to pull out deeper into the water. You gotta imagine Peter's like, Jesus, man, I just want to go home. I'm tired. It's been a long night. I'm frustrated. I'm not making any money today. And now you want to go out and do this again and risk failure again. That's, that's got to be in the back of his mind. But he says to Jesus, hey, because you say so. He just met the guy. But, but he'd been listening to him. He heard his words. He knew that he spoke with authority. He spoke differently than anybody had ever heard before. And so in confidence, Peter obeys and goes out further. So here's Peter's response. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they'd done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. 
So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. What's so interesting about this story is Jesus is a carpenter. He's not a fisherman. Yet he's talking to professional fishermen. He's stepping into their world and telling them to do something, go back to an area where they just failed. And because they'd heard him, they listened to him and they obey him. Peter just experienced an epic fail. He was a professional fisherman. To come home without any fish, that was embarrassing. Not only financially difficult, it was embarrassing. He could lose his reputation. And then Jesus asked him to do something, and he does it. What highlights for me in that part of the story is Jesus can handle our failures. He didn't accuse Peter. He didn't question Peter's career. He didn't question his ability, he just asked him to do something. And Peter listened and he obeyed. And if you know the story, Jesus had a supernatural knowledge of where the fish were. He didn't have a fish finder. He just knew where they were. He's Jesus, right? So he takes them out and they cast their nets and their nets are full to the point of breaking. So Jesus says, Peter obeys immediately and then he's rewarded immediately. Now you and I know that doesn't always happen. It's great when it does, but our obedience is not always rewarded right in the moment. In fact, our daughter Morgan, who lives up in Oregon, she's a manager for Enterprise Alamo and Budget Rent-A-Card. She works at an airport there. A couple of weeks ago, she called us and sent us a picture. She was, because she had to let most of her staff go, she actually not only rents cars, she also has to help clean cars. So she's doing double duty. In one car, she was cleaning it out and she reached under the passenger seat. She felt an envelope. She pulled a clear coated plastic vacuum sealed envelope out from under the seat. And when she looked inside, there was $10,000 sitting in this envelope. And so she sent us a picture. In fact, she sent us the picture and it was sitting on her lap. She said, dad, I gotta be honest. I was struggling at that moment about what to do. What is the right thing to do? Now she called the police and they came and got it. And she's not gonna see that money again. But she asked that question, did I do the right thing? I mean, it kind of feels like I did the right thing, but man, that was 10 grand sitting right there. Well, of course she did the right thing by calling the police and she will be rewarded. Now she may not get rich, she may not get the $10,000 back and it didn't happen immediately, but faith says that God will reward her for her faithfulness. Maybe a higher up will notice and give her a promotion or that they at least know she's a person of integrity, right? And that has its own benefits. So she will be rewarded, not in the moment. We, that's what we have to remember. God watches. He knows when we do the right thing. And he promises he will bless us. He will honor when we do the right thing. It may not be in the moment, like happened with Peter and these guys, but he will. We trust in that. It may not come in the same way that we, we saw the opportunity. It may not be coming back in money, but it'd be coming other rewards that God gives us because God is the, the giver of all good things and he blesses us when we do the right thing. And so here we have these fishermen, they obey Jesus, they make this great catch so much they have to call other boats in to help them or they're gonna lose all these fish. And I love what Alistair Begg says because I think it, it really speaks to what's happening right here with Peter's life. He says, it's easier to trust God in areas where we lack knowledge and experience. That's so true. Because for a lot of us, we're learning to trust God and we're doing a pretty good job at it during this pandemic because none of us have ever experienced anything like this before. 
And it's difficult, but our trust meter has gone up. We've trusted God more in this because it's so foreign to us. But let's take our marriages. Oh God, I know how to be married. I'm, I, had, I was raised by great parents. I saw a great marriage. I saw it modeled. I know how to be married. I don't really need you stepping in and intervening in this. I, I, got, I got this. Our finances, I know. I, I've, got to be, I've got to be saving. I've got to be giving. I've got to be good stewards. I don't really need your help or advice and all this. I've, I've got this covered. Hey, I, I watched Dave Ramsey, right? Or, or job. I, hey, I, I need to look for a job. I know how to put a resume together. I know how to make, I'm on LinkedIn. I know, I, I know all the networks I need to have to find that job. And we don't even spend time praying, asking God about it. Big decision. I know how to buy a house. I know how to buy a car. I've got all this figured out, Lord. I don't really need to seek you in all these things. That's where we really struggle to depend upon God. I mean, Peter had to depend upon Jesus here and he had to be willing to turn over every area of his life because again, Jesus was a carpenter, not a fisherman. Peter was a professional, but he trusted Jesus, not just with the things he couldn't handle, but with the very one thing that he was a professional at handling, fishing. And he trusted Jesus in this and Jesus rewarded him in such a way as Jesus' provisions were over the top. The Bible says that God lavishly pours out his love. He gives in abundance. He blesses his children with good things. He is the giver of all good things, and he gives them in abundance. There was great provision. I just picture the scene, right? Here's Peter and these fishermen. They're in these two boats up to their knees and fish flopping around. The whole boat's full of fish. I mean, they're sinking down in the water. They're afraid they're not going to make it back. That's the way God blesses us. He pours out more than enough. You hear you can't outgive God, can't outdo anything with God. He, he's always more. He's always more than enough as he provides for us. And this was huge for Peter because what's about to happen in Peter's life? He had to have this understanding that I can trust this Jesus guy to take care of all my needs. He just erased any embarrassment that Peter had from not catching any fish. And he did it with great abundance. Peter had failed that night. Catching any, not catching any fish, and Jesus restored him in abundance. Man, that story is going to go on and on and on. You're not going to believe what happened to Peter and James and John, those other guys. You're not going to believe how many fish they caught with just one cast of their net. It's a great reminder for us that Jesus restores. He's a redeemer. He's a rescuer. That's what he does. When we invite him into our lives, he rescues us, he restores us, he redeems us, and he lavishly pours out the blessings, the inheritance of the kingdom into our life. We have nothing to fear. Man, I know some of us have lost jobs. We've lost income. Our retirement plan has been cut in half. Things we thought we needed in our life have been taken away. But you know this, you can trust him. He's going to provide an abundance in your life. The key is, depending on him, the key is how do you see failure? Do you see it as a time to trust or a time to just work harder? Peter had to humble himself. We experience success in Christ when we're willing to humble ourselves and turn everything over to him, to be dependent upon him. When we fail in regards to Christ is when we become self-sufficient or even arrogant or prideful, try to do things on our own. Look at verse 8. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. 
Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats on shore, left everything, and followed Jesus. Here's their response. Jesus' actions always demand a response. When Jesus does something, when you learn something about Jesus, you have to respond to it. There's no neutral ground here. You have to respond. When you discover that Jesus died for the sins of the world and God raised him from the dead three days later, you have to respond to that. You can reject it or you can accept it, but you have to respond. You can't just stay in the gray. Jesus performed a miracle. Peter, James, and John, the others had to respond. He got them to do something they'd never done before. I doubt Peter had ever had an experience like this before. But because of obedience, he was rewarded. Obedience in a man that he just met. But he knew something was different. And then Jesus called them. Not just Peter, but James and John, the other fishermen. God called them. Jesus called them to follow him. And then he said, don't be afraid. Well, (laughs) when a guy just provided two boatloads full of fish, he backs that up, right? Don't be afraid. Hey, I can provide fish for you. I can provide whatever thing, everything that you need. I will provide for you. That's what Jesus says to us. I will take care of everything. Everything you need, I've got it. I'll take care of you. I will provide for you. Don't be afraid. Man, what a powerful statement during this pandemic when we've lost so much. We don't have to be afraid. There are fearful moments, no doubt. But we don't have to be consumed by fear. We don't have to be ruled by fear. Jesus told them not to be afraid. And they made it to the shore and the boat didn't sink. And then what's interesting about this story is Peter, James, and John, these fishermen left this miracle. They left all those fish. Man, that's, that's a lot to brag on. <laughs> Fishermen's, fishermen love to brag on their catch. They left all that to follow Jesus because they valued Jesus more than his provision. That's such a key. Yes, God will provide for us. In this pandemic, God is providing for us. But don't put your hope and faith in those provisions because the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. All that, even this provision of fish was to focus Peter, James, and John on Jesus, that they would follow him. Trusting him. He proved himself trustworthy. All this happened so that they might be called in the kingdom service. Just as you are called. Jesus is calling you. When Jesus calls us and we accept, he gives us a ministry. He gives us gifts through the Holy Spirit, spiritual gifts that we might serve his kingdom. You have a calling on your life. Some of you are being called to ministry. God is calling you to make that your vocation, that your career. I hope like Peter, you're going to say yes and follow him and trust him. But he's calling us. So they left this miracle. Again, you know how hard it is for people who fish to leave a catch like this and left all their gear to follow Jesus. But it was the right choice. It was a great move. In fact, I love what Augustine said. He said, why are you relying on yourself only to find yourself unreliable? They weren't going to rely on their career, on their training, on this huge catch of fish to sustain them or give them identity. They followed Jesus because they knew life is unreliable. 
Why would we rely on ourselves and expect ourselves to be able to handle all this when we know that we're unreliable? We fail. We've admitted that. We all fail. But the good news is Jesus takes us just as we are, but he doesn't leave us that way. This experience with Peter and James and John changed them. In fact, here's a question for you to respond to in the comments. How has Jesus changed you during this crisis? What are some things you notice that are different about you because you've gone through this? Post those so we can all share them. So Jesus, first of all, he changes their focus. He calls them just as he's calling you. For some of you listening, his first call is for you to invite him into your life, to give your life to Jesus, claiming him as the leader and forgiver of your life. That's the first step. But in that, there's a calling to serve his kingdom. And it fits. When Jesus said, I want you to fish for people, it fit. These guys understood that language. They've been fishing for fish. They understand that the imagery is right to go and fish for people. The calling God has in your life, it fits your personality. It fits your experience. It fits your background. It fits your goals, your dreams, and your desires. Training may be involved, but it fits who you are, how God wired you. Just like it did these guys. The word catching here means to take alive or to capture. If you think about this for just a minute, Jesus said, I want you to stop fishing for fish and I want you to fish for that which is dead. When he said, I want you to fish for people, he's asking them to fish for dead things. Because we say this all the time, Jesus didn't come to make bad people good, he came to make dead people alive. So when Jesus said, I want you to fish for people, he said, I want you to fish for dead people. I see dead people, right? So that's what he's calling them to do. To go and reach those who are dead in their sins, in their failures, and to receive Christ, life, and hope, and meaning. He changed their focus, and he changed their lives. We know that Jesus values people. At our church, we value people. We're a great commission, great commandment church. The great commission is to go and make disciples of all nations. The great commandment is to love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. We believe in that. That's, that's what drives us to do what we do. Because we know that Jesus values people, so we value people. So what that means is during this time, you've been reaching out to your neighbors, you've been sharing your faith, you've been inviting folks to join and worship online. This is all, we can't stop doing that when we get back together. We need to continue to ramp that effort up to reach people because every one of us who claim Christ as our leader and our forgiver, we are all called to fish for people. Now we do it in different ways, but that's part of our calling. The question is what kind of bait are we throwing out there? Are we attracting people to Christ or are we repelling them from him? That's been made evident during this pandemic, the answer to that question. In fact, how have you depended on God during this crisis? What are some of the guards or the walls you've let down to truly depend on him? Write some of those answers in the comments so we can share. Again, the truth is we're going to fail. Just like these guys that were professionals and what they did, but they still failed. But it was in that failure that it led to a breakthrough. Because if they'd caught in their daily catch of fish, they probably wouldn't have wanted to go back out. Right? But in that failure... In that embarrassment that they experienced, they were open to follow what Jesus said because they were looking for redemption. 
They were looking to be rescued. They were looking for something different. So failure is unfortunately a natural part of life. Hey, I hate to fail just like you do. But thank goodness there is hope because it's inevitable we're going to fail. In fact, Christ even uses our weaknesses to advance his kingdom. So many times who we are is maximized in our weakness because of Jesus. Peter and his weakness and his failure, Jesus maximized his life by filling two boats full of fish. That's just how Jesus does this. So when you fail, again, how do you think about it? How do you see it? How do you process it? Here's just a couple of practical ideas on how to deal with coming out of a failure, which we're all going to experience. First of all, just accept it as a part of life. Don't be so afraid to fail that you never try. If you never fail, then you're not risking anything. You're not trying anything beyond your own ability. Peter could have failed twice that day when he went back out in the boat. How embarrassing would that be? But he risked it. Because of it, he was rewarded. The second is reflect on the lessons that you're learning. Again, with every failure, we should be learning something. To look at it differently, not to make us quit, but to reassess and readjust and maybe even refocus. The third is just to own your own mistakes. We're all going to make mistakes. Don't try to deny them. Don't blame them on somebody else. Just admit it when you make a mistake. So you break that strength of that failure that's going to try to keep you down. The fourth thing is so important, forgive yourself. Again, because we're all going to fail. We're all going to make mistakes. And then the fifth thing is just change the way you look at failures. See them as lessons to be learned and then move on. Learn that lesson and move on. You think Peter ever failed after this experience? Well, if you've read the Gospels, you know that he did. Remember when Jesus walked on the water? Peter gets out of the boat. No other disciple did. Where do you go, Peter? He gets out on the boat. He's walking on the water. What a miracle. He's looking at Jesus. The minute he takes his eyes off, he begins to sink. Oh, what a tragedy. What a failure. Yeah, he failed in the moment. But guess who was there to pick him up? <laughs> what a cool ending to that story Peter could tell. Jesus pulled me out of the water and put me back in the boat. You remember in the Garden of Gethsemane? As Jesus takes disciples into the garden and he says, I want you guys to stay here and pray for me. I'm going to go deeper in and pray. And obviously he was, he was in pain. He was struggling. He was emotionally distraught. And he came back three times and every time the disciples were asleep, but he still kept coming back to them. And then when they went to arrest Jesus, Peter pulls out a knife and he cuts off a soldier's ear. And Jesus heals the guy's ear so that, I guess so Peter's not arrested for cutting some guy's ear off. And Jesus restored in that moment. And then the biggie, the one he's probably most famous for, is when even after he had been warned, he denied Jesus three times. Man, what a heartbreaking moment. What a terrible part of the story of an already tragic story. But if you remember, after the resurrection, in this same kind of setting, Peter's out on the boat. He sees Jesus. He swims to the shore. You know what Jesus is doing? He's not pointing an accusing finger. He's not rehashing all the failures of Peter's life. He's cooking him breakfast. <laughs> and he invites him in and then he commands him and commissions him to love his sheep, which we know is the beginning of carrying on what Jesus had started with the church in the New Testament. 
So here's a question back to you. How have you failed God lately? And the hope is, and the joy is, even in that failure, is that Jesus is right there. And even in our failure, we get to experience Jesus in a new way. And through that, we experience a breakthrough. Maybe we see Jesus in a way we've never seen him before because we experience failure. But regardless how we look at it, we know that Jesus is hope. Jesus is life. Jesus is joy. Jesus is redemption. We know that Jesus can handle our failures. They do not have to devastate us. They actually can make us stronger. Again, I want to say to you, if you're watching this, connecting with somehow, and you have never come to the point that you've invited Jesus into your life, I want to challenge you to do that right now. All you have to do is admit, admit that you need God, admit that you are a sinner and say, today I, I turn away from my sin and I want to follow Jesus. Just like Peter, James, and John. I want to turn away from following my lifestyle and my way to follow Jesus's way. To be willing to give up everything to follow Christ. And today to invite Jesus to come in and be the leader of your life to give him control and to be the forgiver of your sins. And he will. The Bible says when you ask him, he will immediately. That's obedience with an immediate reward. And he will come in and take control. And I guarantee you, you will never regret it. So this morning, you pray a simple prayer. God, I know I'm a sinner. Forgive me of my sins. I don't want to follow my path anymore. I want to follow you. Jesus, come into my life and be the leader and the forgiver of my life and save me. If you pray that prayer, something like it, the truth is Jesus just took control. Now you need to tell somebody, let us know or let somebody know. If you're living somewhere else, find a church that can help you grow. You just started a journey with Christ that you need help walking. But here's the challenge. Write out your failures. Spend some time today just thinking about it, looking at it differently. Write them out and write the lessons you've learned through those failures or maybe lessons you see for the first time. How have you failed and what have you learned from that failure? Maybe this will be a turning point because we all fail. The key is how do we process it? And I hope that you see them differently today. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for loving failures. If we were not your treasure, you would not have gone to those links to send your son to die for us. And I pray, Father, today that you would save thousands of people who hear your message and for the first time believe and trust in you. And God, for, for those of us who follow you, we know we're gonna fail. Some of us, we've already failed this morning already. But don't let it devastate us. Help us see those failures as opportunities to trust you more, to depend upon you more. As you've taken away so many of the gods, the false gods that we serve through this pandemic, no doubt there's still some we're hanging on to. Just set us free. God, set us free. Help us to be honest. Help us to be vulnerable before you, before someone else. 
that we can let all those things go, that we truly would be at a point that we are willing to leave everything to follow you. God, I know that you're calling us. I believe that you're calling some to ministry, full-time ministry. I pray today is the day they say yes. They may still have questions, struggles, doubts. How's this all gonna work out? But help them to trust, just like Peter did. He left everything, even what you just provided, he left all that behind to follow Jesus. I pray that happens all over the world today. In Jesus' name.